Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Macomb, Illinois. And we have got a great show for you today. We're going to be chatting with our communication specialist, Emily Steele, about buying a home and what do we need to be considering when doing this and things that a new homeowner might want to think about when it comes to the landscaping. But before we get to Emily, I am not doing this by myself. I am joined as always every week by horticulture educator Ken Johnson in Jacksonville. Hey, Ken. Hello, Chris. How are you? I am doing uh, great, Ken. Uh, how are you doing today? Can't complain. It's nice and cool out this morning. It was nice uh-huh. and cool. It's yeah. getting warm. So mm-hmm. had to slap the, the hoodies onto the kids this morning. Yeah, they were mm-hmm. complaining it was cold out. You get the summer beard here going soon. Ah, uh, yes. Winter Does it beard get longer in the summer? What what is what happens? They get shorter. Okay. It gets shorter. <laughs> I was thinking with your complexion, you would need to have more hair. So <laughs> grow up like <laughs> grow it up as a mask. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, well, I am. I, I'm a little bit uh, jumpy today, so I just so we were uh, sitting at home the other day in the living room, and just so happened a good growing episode popped on to the the YouTube f- uh, recommended feed that my kids were going through, and they turned it on, and my wife just cracked up. She just started laughing, and she said, what are you looking at? And she said, why aren't you looking into the camera? I'm like, well, because the the screen is on my screen. Like I'm looking at Ken right now. Um, and I can't look at, if I look at the camera, then I'm not looking at Ken. So now I don't know where, where I don't know where to look. I don't. And, and so, so I went, I looked at other podcasts that have their video feed. They're doing the same thing. They're looking not at the camera. They're looking at their, their screen. screen. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to have to talk to my wife about this because she just, she thinks it's hilarious. Move your camera right in front of the screen. (laughs) Well, maybe, maybe our guest today can help us answer this question. Like, where do we need to be looking right now? Cause I am, I I, am, my eyes are jumping back and forth between you and the camera, Ken. So all self-conscious now. (laughs) I'm very self-conscious. Yes. Uh, My wife can still cut me pretty deep like that. So, um, well, Ken, uh, you're, you're a homeowner. I'm a homeowner. Um, and so I guess that qualifies us to answer these questions today. So uh, we're going to be chatting about owning a home and what does that mean when it comes to the yard, the garden, landscaping, whatever you want to call it. So right now we would like to, to bring on our, our guest for today, uh, communication specialist, Emily Steele. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me again. Well, we are happy to have you. Um, and uh, Emily, you are with University of Illinois Extension. Uh, you work for the MARCOM team. Now, MARCOM, that stands for Marketing and Communications. Am, am I getting our, 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 our letters correct here? You got it. Alphabet Soup, that acronym yes. is Marketing and Communications. So Awesome, awesome. I, I can learn things every once in a while. <laughs> um, so, uh, Emily, uh, you are in the, this process. And, and we were chatting a few weeks ago about uh, home buying, you know, things to consider, what to think about. And so we have developed a whole list of questions for, you know, it, when you're looking or you're in that market or looking for a home. And then now that as a new homeowner, things to consider when it comes to the home uh, garden uh, and yard. So if you wouldn't mind uh, kicking us off on these questions. And as we go through today, um, maybe we can learn a bit, a bit more about the process and some of the questions that you've encountered uh, in the whole 
home buying experience? Sure. Um, yeah, so we were talking about this because uh, personally, I'm buying my first home. So I was thinking about all the things that come with that. And then kind of landscaping was one of the, the later things to think about. Um, so we're recording this on what, a Thursday? So next Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday, what is it? May 30th or after mm -hmm. I will be an official home buyer. And um, we were talking about spring typically is when um, the home buying season picks up. So this is a great time of year to kind of talk about that. Um, you cannot see right now because my background is blurred if you're watching the video, but there are boxes everywhere behind me in preparation <laughs> for this move. So one of the things I've, I have been thinking about um, of the many, many lists that come with um, buying a home is just, okay, I'm moving in and it's it's going to be June. I'm moving in. There's a yard that's going to need to be mowed regularly and there's lots of other things to be taken care of. So um, I'm so glad I have both of your expertise to kind of talk through this and hopefully we can share that with other people. Um, so I kind of asked around and asked some of my colleagues too, um, what are some of the things that you wish you knew about lawn and garden care when you first bought your house? And it was, the responses that we got were great. So some of these are from them as well. Um, so I guess to, to kind of kick it off, one of the first things I wanted to ask was before you're even buying a house, right? Like what should a person consider about the yard when they're going to showings, right? What should they be looking for? Well, that, that is a, a great question, and I will, I'll throw it to Ken real quick. So, Ken, uh, do you have any items that, that you would think, as you're in the market and going to these showings, what, what were you looking for? Um, I'd say first thing, actually pay attention to the yard. I think a lot of people, they focus on the house and nothing about the house. Uh, so take a little bit of time and walk around the yard uh, just to see, you know, what's there what it's like um, when we were looking at houses <clears throat> for us, it was, you know, if it didn't have a, a decent sized yard, it was a, a non-starter. So, mm -hmm. um, but we walked around the yards, kind of get the layout. Um, one thing to look for is look at the trees. What types of trees do you have? You know, if you've got ash trees, there's a good chance you're going to be, you're going to be treating those for a while. Or you're going to be bringing those, cutting those down. You're going to be spending a, some good amount of money like on ash trees. Um, you know, if it's, and maybe walk around the neighborhood too. You know, if you've got maple trees and everybody's got maple trees, you know, if 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 we ever have a big maple problem come in, you're going to be spending quite a bit of money taking care of that too. So, trees are big investments. Just so spend a little time looking uh, at those and getting a general feel of the landscape. And the house we bought uh, had a lot of winter creeper in it, so I knew right off the bat we're going to be dealing with a lot of of weed pulling and spraying to try to manage that winter creeper. And it took us. We've been in that house for seven years and we still have it popping up here and there, but it took a good three years to really get that to a place where I wasn't getting all angry because there's winter creeper everywhere. So, yeah, and I, I would say in the uh, the two homes in, in my lifetime that I have been fortunate, is that the right word, uh, enough to own, um, is uh, I always, when when looking at those homes, I would take a walk around that foundation perimeter and I would make sure that any of that that slope or that soil was not settled in there with that foundation because that that's something that I have encountered multiple times in terms of poor drainage around the foundation a lot of times with the construction of homes there is the proper way to backfill around a foundation and then there is what has happened in the past um, I think these days a lot of contractors are properly 
compacting that soil there around that foundation wall. But in the past, a lot of times they would fill that soil in. They would just take the bucket of their backhoe and just sort of tamp it down. That's not compacting the soil that's deeper down in that foundation. And so over the course of 10 to 30 years, you, you continue to get settling uh, every year. And so it's almost a continual process uh, of, of uh, having to correct that settling soil around that, that foundation, especially if your home was built in like the 70s or 80s uh, and maybe early 90s, where that was a very common practice or, or maybe not practice of not properly compacting that soil around the foundation. So I, yeah, I agree with Ken. I look at trees. If there's ash trees, I'm like, all right, you got a budget removal or treatment. I also look at trees and how close are they to the house? If they are really, really close, that is something to consider of like, think about what type it is. If it is an ash tree, if it is a maple, if it's something that doesn't look healthy, I see a lot of ornamental pears planted right up against homes. That would be something that's like, I, I know I'm going to have to remove this tree because it's going to be dropping limbs on, on the roof. Um, and so the, the proximity of trees to the actual homes is another thing to consider. Trees, drainage, and how far away are the trees away from the home? That is fantastic. And I want to ask you this because I know a few trees that I can recognize by sight, but say I'm not one of you who can look at a tree and be like, I know what that looks like. What would be a good like way to determine that if I'm just going to a showing and I'm like, I look at a tree and can I like take a picture of it and like upload it to an app or what, what are my options for that? Let's say there's, there's a lot of apps out there. Uh, you can use maples or you know, that, that palmate leaf. Um, think of the Canadian flag. Okay. Um, that's, that's, um, <clears throat> and then ash trees are going to have uh, compound leaves. You have multiple leaflets uh, on there, depending on your tree knowledge, it may be a little more difficult to figure out, but maples are mm -hmm. relatively distinctive looking leaves. And, and not to totally give away a, a great secret and, and lose my job because you no longer need an extension person, but um, you can upload pictures online. Um, I know Google Lens is one of those where it, it will use, I hate using this term AI, because I don't know if it's always AI. It's it's a complex software, we'll say that much, but to to photo recognize that that leaf shape, and it tries to match it with other images that they find online, that can help with identification. There's another app through iNaturalist, I believe it's called Seek, um, S-E-E-K, I believe that's what it is, and so that's a free app to help in um, photo recognition software to identify these, these plants, uh, or snap a picture and contact your local extension office. We're still here, uh, despite uh, <laughs> computers being really good now at identifying things, um, but uh, it, it's always good to have a human eye take a look at it too, and so we can always help. And if there's um, any questions of like possible disease, again, snap a picture, send that into a local extension office, see if anyone can help. Uh, one of the things where, uh, in terms of extension, where we're limited is visiting. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're, there's only maybe a dozen Hort educators throughout the entire state of Illinois. And so we can't go on every home showing that there is. I uh, wish we could, but we can't. Um, but yeah, send us a picture. That would be such a good side hustle, though. Like hire be. yourself out to realtors. <laughs> <laughs> you can have a landscaper, uh, an electrician, and a plumber all coming along with you on these showings. Yes. <laughs> um, great. I love 
all of those recommendations. Um, uh, and that made me think I should have probably told you a little bit about the house to give some kind of perspective about it. So um, I live in Decatur in central Illinois. Um, and so the house was built in the 1970s. So what you were saying about soil sediment, my ears perked up about that. Um, but it is a, a ranch home in a, a typical neighborhood. It's got lawn in the front, lawn in the back. Um, I'm assuming cool season grass. There is I think a red maple tree in the front, <laughs> judging by the color of its leaves. Um, and then it backs up to a wooded lot. It's about 0.4 acres that um, right now, and it's kind of a bare slate because besides the, the one tree in the front, it's mostly grass. So that's kind of what I'm working with right now. I, in working with Extension and in reading all of our blogs and articles and seeing all the webinars and contents that we've put over um, out over the years, um, I, I tend to think I know a lot more about gardening than I do because I've read a lot about it. Um, and so I think <laughs> I think this whole experience will be kind of fun for me to, to have this yard, this space to work with in. But for me, people who um, don't love gardening or don't want or don't have the time to obviously invest in outside landscaping, um, can we talk about maybe some of the pros and cons of investing in landscaping? So what, what are maybe some of the values if you are looking for home buying purposes, right? Like what value can, can plants bring to your home, to your landscape? In my background, so I, I studied landscaping that was landscape design, landscape architecture, that is my background. And so um, what I have seen in, in some of the this kind of the market data that has been published is that a well landscaped yard increases the value of your home. And namely, you we're probably going to focus a lot on trees today because when it comes to value, a mature shade tree can add value to your home. Um, and it is when it, and it comes to the ranking of of things that that can increase value, it's like kitchens, bathrooms, mature shade trees. Like it's that level or, or of it, it's a mature shade tree that is healthy. So not an ash tree. Ash tree. Uh, when you talk to uh, uh, some realtors or some people, and they are are savvy enough to be able to identify an ash tree, um, they will say because of emerald ash borer that tree is going to cost you money that actually can bring property value down that doesn't happen very often though i at least when when we were looking at houses i would see ash tree ash tree and and the um you know my wife wasn't looking at that she was looking at kitchens and bathrooms um and but i was looking at trees and i was and the realtor uh was also you know focusing on the features of the home um and and i was focusing on the features around the home and but I would say a well landscaped yard, namely those mature shade trees, it does add value to your home, and so it is it is worth that investment. Yes, and there's you know those environmental um, benefits too. So your your trees, especially mature trees, you know taking in that CO two. Um, if you've got them all like on the south side of your house, providing that shading cooling effect in the summer, so your air conditioner isn't having to run as much. Um, if it's deciduous, then you can get to let the sun through and warm your house in the winter. Um, if you've got evergreens, there's the north north side of your house blocking those cold winter winds, again, helping with, with heating uh, of the home, um, helping with you know, water infiltration into the, into the landscape. 
uh, and stuff. So there's, in addition to those financial, there's environmental benefits too. And then just the, I guess the general satisfaction of having a, um, you know, that, that landscaped yard and, and the, those mental aspects to it too. Mm, yep. And we have more and more research coming out that a, just essentially a green space, like, like you mentioned, Emily, it could be turf grass, could be a, a red maple. That's just good for our mental health to, to be in a green environment with plants and vegetation, um, where they see not only does it help us reduce our stress levels, um, there's research out there that shows that patients that have undergone surgery that have views outward to a park or a green space, they actually have a shorter recovery time period and they request fewer uh, pain medications during that recovery period. And so there, that is a, a research that is a documented um, effect of green vegetation. And so there's not only is there a, a market or fiscal value, there is a human health value as well to this. And depending on the level of landscaping you're doing, there's that physical activity. Yeah. So if you're if you're gonna be all hardcore like Chris and I, you're getting <laughs> you're getting lots of exercise. And even if you're you know, you're just cutting the grass, you got to push more. You're gonna be doing that this time of year, once, twice, nice and cool, lots of rain, three times a week, mowing mm -hmm. your grass. So. so there's physical benefits there's the aesthetics right like it just looks pretty out there there's the environmental benefits and then like like you said the housing like uh power costs like power bill costs like if you're you're shading certain parts of your house you're not having to heat as much or cool as much at certain times of the year so that sounds like it's worth a good investment with all the things in buying a house there's like obviously tons of to-do lists and everything that's happening so i'm really trying to balance the excitement that I'm of having a yard right for the first time because I've I like to grow and I've been in apartments um and I have successfully grown things in containers on my patio gardens which is great so I'm going from that to having a full yard to maintain so I'm trying to balance the reality of like that excitement versus the the time and cost commitment and all the other projects that come with having a home so especially because right now I'm moving in at the beginning of like the growing season right I'm moving in right at June and um so there are some things I really want to do while the time is right. And so let me kind of sketch out my initial thoughts for you for my plan. So, um, and you, you, you tell me your thoughts on this. Uh, the first few months, right? First one to three months, I'm really just trying to get to know the yard, right? Like what plants am I seeing there? Um, I'd like to take a soil test, kind of map out where the sun and the shade are falling at different parts of the day, just seeing where things are growing. Um, and then like three to six months, that's going to start mapping out my plan. Like what's going to go where? Do I want to put a compost bin here? Or I want to put um, raised beds here and just really kind of starting that planning. And then the six to 12 months slash forever is really just implementing and maintaining. So that's the rough plan I have looking looking ahead. <laughs> I'd say that's uh, pretty good. I would, I would say for our yard, we didn't really start planting anything until we were in that house for a year, year and a half. Again, just familiarizing yourself with the landscape, you know, you're moving in in June. So you've missed, you know, if you've got any bulbs and, and you probably looked at the house, but you know, you're, you may have missed some of that early season stuff. So getting an idea of where that's at, um, and letting that landscape grow up and see what it's going to be like, you don't want to start off right off the bat and start planting all kinds of stuff. If, you, know, you kind of want to get a feel of what that landscape is going to look like when it's fully 
um, fleshed out. And again, yeah, making sure you're making a plan. Just don't go about it all willy nilly, um, which <laughs> I don't always follow my own advice there. Um, <laughs> find a plant on sale. I'll figure out a way to get it into the landscape. Um, but yeah, so yeah, map it out, make a plan. And then I would even, you know, six months, I maybe even month out, even do a year before you, and it kind of starts slow. I think we really didn't really start adding a lot of stuff until we were there for a couple of years, partially so we could recover financially from all the things we had to fix right off the bat. Mm -hmm. um, but then, and you know that we've been in there, you know, seven years, we've really gotten the ball rolling on a lot of stuff. And, and kind of some of our ideas have changed over time as, as other things have grown up and we've had, we removed a tree so that opened up an area um, that was, you know, once shade now it's full sun and, and things like that. Yeah, Emily, I, I, I think your plan, it does work really well considering that the time frame when you will be moving um, into that home, I'll say in, in the, the home that we're in now, we looked and bought it late summer and even early fall. And so we didn't know anything about what happened in the spring. Um, that was totally new to us. So we waited a, a whole year to just kind of let that landscape reveal itself to us. Uh, found out that the person who owned the home before us um, really liked uh, bulbs and uh, she had all different collection or assortment of tulips and um, tulips of different colors, which was, is very neat to see that just surprise you the in the following spring virginia bluebells um popping up all over the place and and so there are a lot of different plants revealed themselves to us in the spring um but like ken we did not buy a home necessary it was moving ready but it needed a lot of work because we had the home had termites before we had purchased it. And so uh, that was revealed in an inspection. And so hopefully, you know, you and people listening before diving into this, you do get a home inspection to help uh, reveal in any potential problems. And so we uh, spent our first year taking care of what ha happening inside the house. And then we did exactly what, what you're describing, Emily. We, 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 we didn't do a soil test. I need to do that. I knew I do need to, um, but mapping things out, sketching things out. Um, and then, um, fought that following year starting to implement. So I, I would say a minimum of a year is a good time, uh, for let that landscape reveal itself to you and focus on maybe some of those things that need to happen more immediately on the inside. Uh, unless you buy a brand new home, move in ready, don't need to do anything on the inside. Then you can probably focus more on that landscape. And I'd say if, yeah. if you are going to be adding plants that first year, I'd probably stick to annuals. I uh, guess yeah, so you yeah. know where you know when things grow up, um, how things are going to work before you start with the perennials. And depending on how like, extensive your landscaping is going to be, don't try to do it all at once. Mm -hmm. um, start small. do it do it in stages, and not only is it going to be easier, it's it's going to be a little more financially feasible too, because mm -hmm. um, depending on what you're buying, that can get pretty expensive. Plants are yeah. expensive. Yeah. <laughs> I think the biggest thing I was antsy about is I'd like to put in fruit trees at some point, like some some maybe smaller varieties, because I've got space in the back that I think there's enough sun. And I'm like, what is that saying? The best time to plant a tree is now or 10 years ago or whatever it says. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it'd be cool to put it in sooner rather than later. So, but I don't know if going going into summer, I think what spring's kind of the ideal time to plant a tree. So maybe wait until next year on that. Yeah. And this time of year, you're 
your fruit tree selection is going to be a lot more limited than if you're going to be doing it in the spring or you can go online and find there's companies that will sell to like homeowners um you're gonna have a lot more variety if you're ordering that now we're in the fall to get it in the fall or plant in the spring so if there's something specific you want to look for this time of year you, you may have a hard time finding it mm-hmm. for fruit trees anyway okay um, and you did mention it. I did get that inspection done. There were no termites, thankfully. Um, <laughs> but uh, just because we did mention it, are there things that we you can do, we can do landscaping wise that would like prevent termites, or are they related at all? Potentially, yeah. Um, so there is the there is the notion where where folks are nervous about putting mulch up against the house, saying that that termites will use that as a, a vector, and that typically isn't the case but there are, are some things to, to think about here so um that if you do a thin layer of mulch that mulch layer will dry out very quickly and termites need moisture they will actually build their tubes or their tunnels so that they don't dry out and that's that's how they move through the landscape and work their way into a home um ideally what we want to see to prevent termite access to a home at least from the landscape side of things and this is from our retired entomologist phil nixon he said the perfect thing is like an 18 inch just bare dirt area that's like a desert to them uh and then you want to see an 18 inch uh concrete your your foundation wall you want that to be 18 inches above the soil line and then your your wood framing then on top of that but that 18 inches of bare dirt 18 inches of concrete, that makes it really hard for termites to access the home. That's not the only way they can access it, but when it comes to landscaping, that are some things that we can do. But but telling people to do bare dirt right against their home is kind of a hard sell. Now, if you have wider roof overhangs, that makes it easier to do. But most homes are they're those overhangs or those eaves or whatever you call them, they're getting narrower and narrower. And I wish they were wider and wider, but that's material costs, stuff like that. So um, you could potentially do some type of a, a rock or landscape fabric. It's essentially what you want to do is, is you want to create an inhospitable zone for insects to move from landscape into the home. And uh, I don't know, Ken, what is the actual advice? I'm I'm just throwing things out. There. I would say that and You've got a fireplace don't put your firewood next to the house again make sure you have that that bare that space in between because if you do if it's stacked there year round you have termites move in it's up against the house they don't have to move very far uh, to get into your house uh, not necessarily for termites but like carpenter ants and stuff you don't want to have tree branches resting on the roof of your house because uh, they can go from that tree into your house and typically they're going to be in, in more wet wood but they can still get in, into dry wood so make sure you don't have branches and stuff uh, laying on your house or touching your house that ants can mm-hmm. carpenter ants stuff can get in because that's mm-hmm. they can cause a lot of problems uh mm-hmm. just like termites if they get in there and i'll say for our home the primary entry point was actually the drains in the basement from like the shower or sink that had cracked around that drain in that foundation and they came up through those cracks that way and so when we did some work in our 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 basement we sealed those up um we patched it with concrete and and we we made it so that we can access those drain points 
and we can monitor if that crack ever opens back up and termites ever try to get back in because they're looking for those high uh, uh, moisture environments to to gain access to your home. And there's termite treatments and stuff. There's uh, the traps like that you would put in the ground. They have a piece of wood in there um, that can be monitored and, and treated and stuff. So if, if termites are a concern, there's you know, have a pest control company come out and um, put traps and, and things like that out to monitor for them and, and help manage them. This was such a helpful tangent. Thank you. I'm taking like copious <laughs> notes right now. Um, so one of the big things when I was talking to my coworkers and that I, I kind of knew, but I feel like it's something that's forgotten a lot is like call utility companies to mark the lines on your property before digging, right? Like that's a thing that is a crucial. Mm -hmm. You should be doing that every time you dig. Oh, okay. Um, should be. <laughs> should be. Yes. Um, and, and I will say sometimes utilities can surprise you. Um, okay. In our home, kind of, you, it's similar to what you described, Emily. We have a ranch that backs up to woods. Mm -hmm. We had no idea our gas line access comes from the woods. Mm. Who would have thought? Like we, the there there is a marker way off on 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 the backside near more near the neighbor's yard, um, but uh, we did have a, a utility locate um, in Illinois. It's it's one eight hundred Julie. Um, and so we had them locate the utilities. They put the flags out, and we were shocked to find the gas line coming from the woods into the back of the house. Makes sense though, because that's where, as it comes out of the ground, we saw it there coming into the house from that location. So it makes sense, but we didn't think about that. Um, hope, hopefully, most of those utilities are buried deep enough that most of our gardening activities won't disturb them but that's not always the case. I've done landscaping. We've encountered utilities that are not always buried deep enough or erosion happens or soil moves. Uh, somebody does something that, 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 that makes that more shallow, shallowly buried. Um, and so I would say what we did is actually, I had a map that I went to a GIS website and most counties in Illinois, not all, but most counties in Illinois, you can go to your favorite internet search browser and type in GIS and then your county name and then Illinois, just for good measure. Your county, not again, not every county has this, but your county, the GIS website would pop up. You open the map, you zoom into your site. It has your property boundaries. You can print that off. You can print that off at whatever scale you want, like eight and a half by 11 or a large 24 by 36 like sheet of paper, however you want to do this. And then that can be your base map. And I drew my utilities on that um, so that I always would know where, where they would be located. Going off that they're not always buried as deeply. Um, Jacksonville had fiber run through it, the entire city and the fiber line to our house did not get buried deep enough. And the city came in and replaced the sidewalk and cut the line to us. So we had to get all that reruns, even though it was supposed to be buried. I don't know how deep it was. They, you know, just barely covered it. Um, and I mean, the city didn't call Julie before they mm -hmm. started digging <laughs> and cut our line, but we were kind of out there. And I know we'll say when they, when they mark those lines, it's not going to be the exact spot. I think, I don't remember exactly how far, but it's like 12 to 18 inches on either side of that flag mm -hmm. is where that line's going to be. Um, so it's it's not necessarily going to be the exact spot. So keep that in mind if you're digging in that area. Be really careful within uh, 
two to three feet uh, of that mark uh, when you are digging or move a little bit so you're not having to dig around that. Okay. And, and Ken, we were kind of talking before the show, you have an electrical line moving from the house to your back garage, right? Now that was probably not installed by utility company. So um, usually when utility companies, we'll say modern day practice, they put an electrical or a magnetic tape along with that utility so that when Julie comes and they wave their 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 wand over there, they can identify where that is. But a lot of times those DIY <laughs> installed lines, or if you have like a, a gas fire pit in the backyard somewhere, and that was a DIY project, don't expect them to be able to locate where that gas line is. Now, mm. uh, this is a recommendation or this is a tip for future DIY projects, if you're going to bury gas lines or electrical lines or irrigation lines, buy that metal tape that you can run in that trench along with that so that in the future you can always locate where those the piping or conduit, whatever it is, is, is so you don't hit it on accident. Yeah, when we had Julie come out when we first bought the house, we asked him to mark, you know, you tell him where in the yard you want to mark. And we told him, you know, front yard, backyard, and there was nothing marked in the backyard. So we're not entirely sure. We, you know, we have a general idea. You can look in the basement where the electric line comes out of the house and where it comes into the garage, but we're not entirely sure where it's running. And we were going to put some T posts in the ground. And as we were doing it, I'm like, oh wait, electric line may be right here. Maybe we should stop and <laughs> and uh, figure out, try to figure out where exactly this is before we get ourselves in trouble here. All great things to know. And then they had a my coworker Dolan suggested when they do come out and flag it as part of the mapping that you said, Chris, to like take a photo to remind yourself to like, yes. um, and then you just kind of have that in your files and um, use that as a rough guideline for mm -hmm. it. So. And cool, I was saying cool. just, just to be safe and cover yourself, if you're going to be doing any digging, especially in those areas where they're at make sure you have them come out and flag mm -hmm. uh, so that if you do cut a line, you can say, Hey, yeah, at least you call them yeah, um, and maybe get yourself in a little bit less trouble. Mm -hmm. Less troubles it is always good. Um, so one of the things in in being a new uh, steward of my yard is um, obviously I need some tools to do that. So assuming I have like nothing or the bare minimum, like I have a tiny little hand trowel for my like container garden. What are some basic like lawn and garden tools that I should prioritize getting now? And then maybe what are some would be nice to get tools down the line? This is where we pop up the URL for the uh, garden tool podcast. Oh yeah, we just did a garden tool podcast. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll throw Perfect. that URL right that. here. <laughs> um, I, I will say a sharp shovel or like a good shovel, a wheelbarrow, a bucket, a trowel and hand pruners will take you a long way when it comes to gardening. Um, and I just got my wheelbarrow this year. So before that, I was relying on buckets and loading tarps up and dragging tarps across the yard. Uh, but the wheelbarrow has saved me with a lot of that um, labor and that work. Um, but I, I, yeah, I will say for the, the basic gardening tools that I use, it's a good sharp shovel and hand pruners, buckets, wheelbarrow, and a hose. Hose, good hose. Uh, you can, actually, no, I buy cheap hoses and they break all the time and then I just throw them away. Um, 
but you can buy a really nice hose and and use that forever but those those are expensive and i spend my money on plants not on the thing to keep them alive which would be water so yeah what makes it a good hose oh the the ones that don't they don't kink or okay. like it's like a magician's rope i don't know how they they avoid uh getting tied in knots or whatnot um well thicker the hoses thicker yeah but i i like the lighter weight cheaper ones that i can put in a bucket and i can move around um and 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 also new homeowners just just be mindful of when you purchase a garden hose a lot of times those garden hose fittings are are steel whereas a lot of our um spigots are brass those are two different types of metals that if you leave them attached for too long they'll actually fuse together mm. so always disconnect your hose from the spigot um or else it could be fused to that spigot come fall when you go to move that into your home and i wrote a blog article i'll put that link up here too all about that i think we've had our hose attached to our spigot for six years it's not you, coming off no the spigot will have to be torn <laughs> off to get the hose out now the spigot drips everywhere but it's under the deck so <laughs> that's why it doesn't get attached mm -hmm. um i'll say for the wheelbarrow if you're, if you're going to buy a wheelbarrow get one with solid tires so you know okay you have to go use that and your tire is flat mm -hmm. and then it is a giant pain so look for that solid tire and that way if you're you know, you're running around you run over a nail you're not going to pop your tire sharp if you got yep. thorns or something like that uh probably spend a little more money but save yourself frustration and uh i'd say you know if you're going to be really doing a lot of landscaping don't cheap out on the tools um mm -hmm. good quality tools will will save you a lot of heartache uh and stuff yeah and, and what christina had, yeah the shovel the, the wheelbarrow uh trowel you know if you're gonna be planting smaller stuff um and, and take care of them um maintain them don't just leave them outside and let them rust and oil them sharpen them as needed clean them off when you're done using them i think but, we have a whole info sheet on that too yes, link to info sheet here yes <laughs> um emily then if we could dive into some of maybe those more fun toys i mean tools that you can that, that have a bit more power to them um i i will just add i think we're getting into this new world of electric powered landscape tools mm. um which um i it, for me the expense of those is in the battery makes it hard at least for me to invest in that because i've already got the gas powered stuff so you you got to you got to think about that that investment but um i think those electric landscape tools that that is going to likely be the future of of where we go from here um the one thing I will say that I really like about util I've used them a few times is that unlike a small engine, which is always running and has a high decibel level, the electric tools, they're very quiet. And Ken knows this, maybe he hasn't realized it though. Like when we're at a meeting or a conference and he says something to me, I got to lean in and usually say, what'd you say, Ken? It's because I, I can't hear very well. I've grown up my whole life with around these engines and I did not protect my hearing properly. So um, in addition to that, you know, electric tools having kind of that lower decibel level, if you're using any small engine or power tools, safety glasses, hearing protection, just save yourself 
from living in kind of a, a, a feels like I have cotton balls in my ears every so often. So yeah, protect your hearing and your sight. Yeah, and, and like for electric stuff, you can get lawnmowers now, even like riding mowers. Um, there's luckily riding mowers. Um, you kind of got to pick your your brand so your batteries match up. And like, you know, even like your um, tools, like drills, circular mm -hmm. saws, I mean, so not suggesting this, but like we have Ryobi. So like the, our drill, we can plug that into the weed whacker um, and things like that. And, and some of your your lawnmowers and stuff are probably going to have bigger batteries. Mm -hmm. um, but but some of these smaller tools, um, those batteries can interchange. So if it's, you know, your Ryobi, the wall, whatever, you know, those those things are interchangeable. So yeah, like uh, that, that's why I mentioned about the battery. Like you're not really investing in the tool. You're investing in a family of batteries. That's mm. what that's what you're looking at or maybe more of a brand of batteries. So, uh, yeah, do your homework. Uh, as Ken said, extension, we don't recommend one brand over the other. It's just that um, we study plants over here. So not tools. And as I muted myself as you were talking there, just because one of my neighbors was mowing in the background and I could like, I was like, oh yeah, that's definitely a loud one. So that's <laughs> mm -hmm. not an electric one going off yeah. over there. So, mm -hmm. um, so one thing that I didn't think about too similar to the lines of Julie that came from one of my um, coworkers was that to check the ordinances, the local ordinances related to landscaping, like what rules are in place? Um, I'm not in an HOA, but I know they have their own rules in place. So what does your your local city, your township have that says about you can or can't have this certain thing? And I was like, like, that was a moment where I was like, oh yeah, that should be, that's important to know. Because mm -hmm. I'm sure it's different city to city. And yeah, you don't want to spend a bunch of money in plant material and then have to rip it all out because you can't have it. You I don't know if there's necessarily a lot of restrictions on plants outside of, you know, your noxious weeds and stuff, but your location, you know, is it too close to the street or property line or things like that? So yeah, spend a little time figuring out what you can and can't do or like fences. You know, if you're going to be building a fence, a lot of them, they can't be over six feet tall, mm -hmm. uh, things like that. Or if, you, if you're even allowed to have a fence. And yeah. And I would say what, what we would could recommend in terms of hey native this or this tree or this shrub if the code doesn't allow it or your hoa doesn't allow it our word means nothing um that that rule supersedes all, all else and so i know i know at least in my neck of the woods where i live in macomb illinois the maximum height of vegetation is six inches mm. which has been it, it has been a problem uh, for people who want to plant uh, maybe more of a uh, habitat type space in their yard. Um, but when it, it, it comes to this, and we're kind of diving more into to design and um, things like that, but, but really, when we think about native plants or habitat, we can incorporate that into the landscape so that it, it fits that aesthetic of conventional landscaping too. So it doesn't we, we don't have to be like, ah, we're going to put a, a field of ragweed here. No, we well, first of all, no, we're not. Um, that's probably not a great idea. But the native plants that is often selected these days, they have the same ornamental appeal as the non-native traditional native plants. So, um, yeah, but check those codes. Uh, as I said, in Macomb, it's six inches in Galesburg. 
where we've also done some work with them. It's 18 inches. Um, and so, yes, check the code, check your HOA. And make it look intentional. Yes. Not just mm. willingly that can, you know, you could probably get around that six inches if it's mm -hmm. in, a, in a bed mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, just yep. random plants here and there. And talk or, to your new neighbors. <laughs> um, because that happens that's happened a lot of times where someone will call the office and they'll say I had a pollinator garden and my neighbors came over and mowed it because they thought that I was sick or something and I couldn't I wasn't able to take care of part of my yard and so it's like just just talk to them put up a sign as Ken said make it intentional and I think we have do we have signs available for pollinator pockets like people can order them yes or like print them off okay cool cool mm -hmm. cool, cool. Um, all right. Um, so one of the things, and I think we touched on it a little bit when we were talking about the termites. So are there plants, like, do I want to avoid planting things close to the house? Could like roots or branches potentially like damage the siding or the foundation? So like I, I have a, the south side of my house is really kind of narrow. There's no windows along of it. So I was thinking of putting some like native flowering shrubs along it to add some shade in the summer for cooling, but I don't know like how close to put them or not. Yeah, you don't want to put them right up against the foundation. You don't want them growing into the house. Uh, for my house, we've usually done, I think we've got some hydrangeas and they're about two, three feet away um, mm -hmm. from the foundation of the house. Yeah, don't want them right up against. And we've kind of done what, what Chris was talking about. We've got a, in our front yard, any, we've got a 12, 18 inch area where it's just gravel. Because um, the original beds are all covered in gravel. Uh, so we removed all of that gravel and just, kind of did a perimeter around the, the front of the yard or front of the house where we've got nothing. It's easy to control weeds, just go through and spray the rock. And it's done and then outside of that is where we've done the landscaping yet. So not too close, it's not growing into the house. You don't have root issues. You don't want a tree growing up into your into your house, into your roof. Um because you have to cut that down. Um because either your, your roof's gonna lose or the tree's gonna lose. Somebody's <laughs> somebody's not gonna be happy um, with that or, or both of them are gonna end up looking real crummy. And just from my experience, I want to be able to keep, you know, probably an area where I can easily work along that foundation. Because as I said, all the homes we we purchased have had that settling soil issue, and you can you can fix that by digging up all of the soil along the foundation and then coming back in with your fill and every few inches compacting that down to the proper level. That would require a backhoe, a lot of expense, tearing up the entire yard. So instead of doing that, every few years we come in with, with soil, real soil, not compost, not peat, nothing. We want sand, silt, or clay. We want mineral soil. We bring that in and we, we where that settlement's happening, we fill that in, make sure it's sloping away from the house. But that requires us to leave what I, I would say like a wheelbarrow width away from the foundation, which means I can work there. I don't have to tear up my plants if I need to do any digging or anything along that foundation. Um, and then in terms of, I, I know a lot of folks uh, talk about trees and foundations and how tree roots can, can destroy foundations. That is mm -hmm. true and not true. Um, so I talked with a, a professor about this, an urban forestry professor, and he said, a tree root is not going to cause a crack in a foundation, but it can make a crack worse. So if there is already a weakness, it will take advantage of that weakness, but a tree will not create that, um, that weakness. So, um, but again, having a, that 
that bare soil or rocked area up against foundation, um, that can help minimize uh, a lot of those tree roots from moving in up against that foundation wall. Because right up against the home, for the most part, it should be like a desert. It should be like a drought happening right there. So that discourages roots from moving towards the home. So yeah, we, we live in a older house that's over a hundred years old. So our foundation is brick. Mm -hmm. So we've got lots of lots of, of places cracks. for things <laughs> for roots to get into. So mm -hmm. that's why we want that nice, nice gap there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and we touched on this earlier when we were talking about the trees, but I, I do have mature trees in the back of the lot that like, I feel like I have one or two trees before my lot ends because I have those and they're not super close to the house. Um, is it a good idea to have some point, and I don't know the technical term, is an arborist for a tree person to come in and like look at these and be like, you may want to prune that one, you may want to do this. Uh, so yeah, if you live in an area where you, where you have an arborist, have them come out. And I would even, if you can, you know, when you get your house inspection, maybe even have an arborist come out um, while you're getting that house inspection. So you know, you know, yeah, this tree is going to have to come down and then maybe you can negotiate, you know, hey, you got a dead tree here. I'm not paying for that mm -hmm. uh, type of thing. Or, or so you know off the bat what you're getting into. Um, so you're not surprised after you mm -hmm. sign all those papers and you're out of luck. Um, so yeah, was it treesaregood.org? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the International Society of Arboriculture. You can put in your zip code, uh, and then it'll pop. It'll pop up um, arborists that have registered, or I guess have registered, not registered with the site, but have indicated they can be contacted by the public. Um, and you can see if somebody will come out uh, and check out those trees for you, and and if there's anything you need to do and, and what needs to be done. And a lot of times they will do that. I say all of them do consultations for free, but a lot of them will do uh, free consultations. And another, this is usually just duplicate information of trees are good, but Illinois Arborist Association is another website that you can go to. Um, that is run by the Illinois Arborist Association. Um, and, and usually though, it's it's a duplicate, but every once in a while I find someone on that website that's not on trees are good. Um, but finding a certified arborist, uh, I think where Ken and, and I are located in, in rural parts of the state can be difficult. So, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, in, in those cases, uh, you, you could try reaching out to your local extension office. Again, we can't go around everywhere and visiting trees, but um, maybe uh, some rural extension offices have lists of uh, folks that can help. And then I think the big one that when I talk to people, so we're, we're ending on a, a great question here, good or bad, depending on how you look at it. It's, so it's lawn care, right? And everyone's got different thoughts about lawn care. Um, so almost everyone I asked said something about mowing or like DIY versus hiring it out, like the trade-offs of like natural versus like traditional care. So, um, I had a few questions kind of about lawn care and, um, I think the, the big one is, and is, is like, how should people decide what lawn care ends up being best for them? So like, what factors should they consider, um, like, cause I know you have to think about how often you're mowing, like the cost of your seed fertilizer tools, which I know you said earlier, some of those are optional um, versus like hiring a landscaping company to do it. Um, so, so what are kind of your thoughts, thoughts on that? Do I have to answer this one, Ken, since I do the <laughs> turf grass stuff? <laughs> I, uh, I, I can give you my thoughts, but. <laughs> um, so I, I, I would say this is, a, it, it depends. 
Um, and, and I've seen there are people who care deeply about the appearance of their lawn. Um, there's, and if you want, you can have the perfect lawn, but it does require you to spend money. It does require you to either spend money or spend lots of time, time and money. That's, that's kind of the thing that will get you the lawn. As I say, that glows in the dark. It's so green. Um, and for the most part, when we look at the majority of Americans, when it comes to their time, because we're all very busy, many of them these days are hiring it out. There's a lot of lawn care companies these days that um, might have 50 to 100 lawns assigned to one truck. That's a lot of work for one crew of people to be taking care of managing all of these properties. So um, I I would just urge, urge caution because usually when you do these lawn care programs, they give you like a sheet where you got to like check a box like I want this pesticide application. I want this fertilizer feeding at this time of year. And it's having the homeowner decide. And if you need help in deciding that, reach out to your Illinois Extension office. Um, we, we can provide at least some of those recommended timings for fertilizer applications, which is late summer, early fall. Um, and uh, maybe some of those recommended species to be seeded. Um, and so, it, this, it, this, like you said, Emily, this is a very big question with a lot of variables, depending on how much people want to take, how much time they want to invest into their lawn and money as well. Um, if you don't care about having the perfect lawn, but that's Ken, that's, that's me, but you want to make sure that um, you're following local code or if you have an HOA that says, that's going to like yell at you for having a dandelion. Um, uh, the suggestion is mow high. So for Illinois cool season grasses, that is um, three inches tall. When you go to Purdue, Wisconsin, Iowa, all these other places with an active turf grass program, they're now recommending three and a half to four and a half inches mow height. Um, that is for the healthy turf grass that allows you to have grass that is competitive with broadleaf weeds like dandelion, like clover. Um, and so three and a half to four and a half inches. Uh, so mow high, mow often, which is hard to do, but that's just the name of the game. Uh, avoid removing more than one third of the leaf blade at any one mowing, hence mow often, and then keep those blades sharp because we want to cut the lawn. We do not want to beat up the lawn. We don't want to bruise and damage the, the tip of the grass that makes it harder for it to, to heal that wound um, that actually can introduce more disease. So mow high, mow often, keep those blades sharp. That'll get you 80%, well, 70% of the way there. You want more, hire a lawn care company or, or invest that extra vacation holiday time uh, to spend on your lawn. And I would say with those lawn care companies, you know, when we're at peak grass growth, they're probably not going to be cutting your grass as often as it should be because there are times where you, we've in our yard, we we haven't done it, but we should have been mowing two, if not three times a week. The grass was growing fast enough when it's cool and we get, we're getting plenty of rain. Um, that stuff can really take off. Mm -hmm. And uh, for us, we set our mower blade as high as it can possibly go. If I could find a way to figure out a way to rise it, even, raise it even higher, mm -hmm. I would do it. But yeah, and just that's, that's mm -hmm. all we do. We don't fertilize. We don't uh, do herbicide, spray herbicide. I don't, I don't care what's, as long as it's green and it doesn't, my kids can run on it. I don't care. 
Yeah. Whereas we've got yeah. a neighbor, it's kind of similar. Another neighbor, they're out two or three times a week cutting, spraying, cutting, fertilizing, spraying. and all that stuff. So, yeah, we have plantain, we have creeping Charlie, we have all kinds of stuff growing in our lawn. I, uh, we, Ken and I, we talked about this a few weeks ago on the podcast. I practice drunken mowing, um, which I'm not actually drinking. I think. Ryan Pankow said selective mowing is a better term, um, but I mow around the flowers in the yard. Um, so maybe we're not the best uh, lawn care advisors, but that if, if you really want that beautiful manicured lawn, you can do it. it takes time, it takes money, or you hire someone to do that for you. And, and as we said, kind of been alluding to the amount of lawns that are assigned to these, these crews or these trucks, it compromises the, the the ideal timing for applying some of these pesticides and some of these fertilizers and timing in terms of cutting the lawn. So just just be mindful of that. Um, sometimes I've noticed that can be a struggle with some of the homeowners or dealing with the lawn care companies. Okay. And I think we're we're short on time. So maybe this is another podcast or blog if you haven't already covered it, but just like that a lot of my my friends are talking about like no mow lawns or like low maintenance lawns and what what so I know we could talk about that forever so um but like that's kind of what I'm leaning towards if we have any resources on that I'd totally be interested in, in hearing more about that what does no mow like a fescue that is a fine fescue lawn um probably would not fly in most front yards that because that is going to grow to a height of six to 12 inches usually yeah. checking um, your ordinances to make sure you can have it that tall but there are I, I think it's university of minnesota extension has their bee lawn program where they do highlight some mixtures of clover and fescue i believe uh tall and I, I can't remember if it's fine fescue or tall fescue but um where they're highlighting actually intentionally seeding clover into the lawn, which can be mowed at a lower height. Um, and that can provide pollinator resources uh, to folks. So uh, yes, I, I think the, the, the no mow lawn. Now I, I think I, I'm, I've known of the no mow lawn for a while. It's been very intriguing. I have shifted my focus to sedge. I'm like mm -hmm. going all in on sedges. So uh, <laughs> I have abandoned the fine fescue, no mow lawn. And I am, I have, I've spent way too much money on sedges this year. So um, I got a bunch of sedge seed that I'm going to get started. I am going bananas over sedge, which is a grass like plant, very similar to a fine fescue, no mow lawn. Yeah. Those no mow lawns, we let them grow up. They, they kind of get, wispy almost like waves and stuff i don't know what the wear tolerance is like it's not probably good. not probably not much so if you're gonna be using it a lot if you have dogs lot, not a, yeah kids uh, all that yeah not a good day. and depending on where you're at in illinois i think south central illinois st louis area you're kind of getting into the iffy areas as that's going to grow well enough southern illinois you may have a hard time uh, with that stuff that's going to be more of a northern central and northern mm -hmm. illinois i think jacksonville depending on the map you look at we're kind of I haven't done it because we're kind of close to that that transitionary where it's it's kind of borderline for it. Mm -hmm. And I've got kids and a dog, uh, so it would be best for us in the front yard, um, not the backyard, because they would destroy it. And, and it does need to be mowed. The no mow lawn does the fine fescue no mow lawn. 
two, maybe three times a year still does need to be mowed to remove some of that that debris that will will build up over time. Because there's no such thing as a no maintenance yard unless you're pouring <laughs> concrete. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I say this all the time. If people are like, what's the lowest maintenance thing? And they're like, AstroTurf. I'm like, you got to vacuum that. Like, it still <laughs> requires maintenance. Even AstroTurf does. Green cement. Yep. You got to seal cement. You got, you got, everything requires maintenance. There's no, no such thing as no maintenance. Yeah. Get a crack in that. Something's coming up through it. So. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you both so very much. This was super helpful and I'm looking forward to applying these and learning more and uh, at my new space. So I really appreciate this today. Well, uh, that was a lot of great information about buying a new home, what to think about, what to consider what, now that you have this home. Uh, Emily, we are so happy that you came to us with this, this idea for this topic. Uh, yeah, we could probably go on and on. Uh, so maybe look for part two sometime in the future of, you know, uh, maybe part two, year two in a new <laughs> home. Uh, what Now what do I do? Um, and so th thank you very much, Emily, for, for being here today. Glad to be here. Well, the Good Growing Podcast is a production of University of Illinois Extension uh, and edited this week by me, Chris Enroth. A special thank you to Ken Johnson for being with me, as always, every single week. Thank you, Ken, for hanging out and, and uh, sharing uh, how we've approached our uh, home-owning uh, lives. <laughs> and thank you, Emily, for being on and, and the questions. It made, it made the prep for this show a lot easier. Fantastic. <laughs> I'll send you pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you pictures when it... I'm sure I'll have questions that I will send to my local extension office as time yes. goes on. So. <laughs> We'll warn Sarah. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thank you, Chris, as always. And uh, let's do this again next week. Oh, we shall do this again next week. We are going to be talking about the climate and kind of what are, should we be expecting uh, now. We've had some news coming out from the Illinois State Climatologist, Trent Ford, about an upcoming drought this summer. Uh, so Ken and I, we are going to sit down and we're going to talk about what Trent uh, has been uh, sending out lately. So we're uh, not quite sure. Will it be a drought? Will uh, will we have plenty of rain? Um, but the models are not shaping up favorably. So we're going to talk about that, what to expect this summer in Illinois. So look forward to that podcast next week. And listeners, thank you for doing what you do best, and that is listening, or if you're watching us on YouTube, watching. And as always, keep on growing.